again uh, an official good morning and welcome to all solid word uh, family uh, and those who are watching at home um, we are so excited uh, as always we should be to be in the house of the Lord uh, I do want to just touch on a couple of really quick uh, reminders if you're getting the the newsletter via email you know all of the important dates and even greater details than what I'm going to share with you now but I did want to keep in your forefront the next Saturday from 10 to 1 I believe uh, is going to be the community day that we hold here annually our community community day and keep in mind this is more than just us handing out backpacks with school supplies but There'll also be some health screenings available for sports-related physicals. 
There'll be music, there'll be food, there'll be fun, there'll be engagement with the community, and we're always looking forward to that so that we are making an impact within our Jerusalem, right? And so please, uh, if, if your schedule permits, it's not talking about you need to be there from, you know, the very, very tippy top of the beginning all the way to the very, very end. But if you've got some time just throughout your day on next Saturday between the hours of 10 and 2 uh, to come by to help with setting up, to help with distribution, to help with just being a friendly face from the church, uh, the, uh, we would more than appreciate and welcome you to come and help engage with the community. Amen. Amen. Also, just want to uh, remind us to be mindful of of our uh, sick and shut in, those who are requesting prayer, those who are in need of prayer, those who uh, that you know uh, are in need of prayer. Especially want to just raise up uh, Paul and Sarah Clayton and the Oldham family uh, in the homegoing of her aunt. We had the service here yesterday as well. Uh, and so just continue to pray for and to lift up all of those that we know who are dealing with the ebbs and flows of life. Uh, and look for and ask for ways that God can open up uh, opportunities for us to be the body to come alongside, to provide a word of encouragement, to provide uh, some time, some talent, some treasure, something to those that we know are in need and may have uh, an opportunity for us to move in and be the hands, the feet, the arms of the body. Amen? Now, as we always like to do, we do want to take a moment to recognize any visitors who may be worshiping with us today. We're not going to ask you to stand and say anything, but if you would just raise your hand so that we may acknowledge you. Any visitors worshiping with us? Amen. 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 We see you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look, on behalf of Pastor Costin and the entire Solid Word Bible Church family, we want to extend a heartfelt welcome to you this morning. We know Right. That uh, to make it here, you passed a lot of churches. There's a lot of places that you could be worshiping this morning. And we're excited that God placed it on your heart to be worshiping with us here today, because we truly do believe that there's something he wants you to get out of this service, as well as something he wants you to deposit into the worship service this morning. So we're excited to have you worshiping with us here today. Now, let's take a few brief moments and just uh, greet each other in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Look, amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Excellent. Excellent. As everyone is making their way back to their seats, it, isn't it good to just put your hands on people, love on them, and just uh, greet them and uh, see how they've been doing? Uh, it is a blessing. Fellowship is a blessing. And it's not until you've been out of the fellowship, right, that you realize sometimes how much of a blessing fellowship can be when you're able to kind of come back together. If you've ever been sick, you've ever been out, you've ever gone through a pandemic, you know <laughs> how sweet uh, uh, fellowship can be. All right, now as people again are making their way in, I have uh, what I consider to be a privilege and an honor to introduce our speaker and to you for this morning. Uh, Dr. Nicholas Piotrowski is officially his title as president and I think academic dean of uh, Indianapolis Theological Seminary. That's where I'm attending and where several uh, folks here in the congregation have taken some classes. We've even been able to hold some classes here. And look, it, it goes without saying, and you can check him out. Dr. Piotrowski has written books, he's written articles, he's done book reviews, he speaks in public, he, he's, he's taught a lot of different places, and so he is definitely impressive from an academic standpoint. Uh, but we were talking about uh, how to introduce him best. If I was like, hey, do you have a bio you want me to go through and those kinds of things? And he said, and people don't care about that kind of stuff. He said, just, he said, just tell them what you think is important, right? And part of that, there is a something about when you introduce a speaker, part of us, what we're thinking is, is why should I listen to this person? That's part of what the introduction is. I'm trying to lay out the, the, the case for why you should listen to who's ever about to speak. And I've been thinking about that. And what I would say is, and this is, this is what I admire about Dr. Piotrowski. <clears throat> With all A-W-A-L-L that he knows about God's word, he has not lost his all, A-W-E, of God's word. And that's, that's a difficult balance because you know how we're wired. Once we figure out something, it's not, it's not special to us anymore. Once we can explain it with whatever, our knowledge and our insight, then all of a sudden the, the mystery of it, the beauty, the awe of it kind of dissipates. Oh, it's like magic tricks, right? The moment you know how a magic trick works, I don't want to see that trick anymore. It's lost something. But what Dr. Piotrowski has been able to do, and I've had several classes with him, it is he knows a lot. There's no doubt that this man is blessed and gifted with biblical knowledge. But what he has not lost is his awe of the God behind the Bible. And so I pray that as we listen to him this morning, that the Lord would use him, would speak through him, that that passion that he has would come forth. He, he's done some just devotions at the beginning of our classes that make me just want to close my book and just sit for a minute, right? Just as he's able to just show some things in scripture that 
are just amazing. As the scripture says, I pray that as he preaches, the Lord would open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in God's word. Without further ado, Dr. Piotrowski. Good morning. And thank you, Charles, for that introduction. Uh, yeah, these sort of introductions are always a little embarrassing for me. I just want to get to the scriptures, right? But that meant a lot coming from you, Charles, so thank you. And please continue to pray for me that I will never lose sense of my own awe of our awesome God. Amen. Well, I bring you greetings from my own church, Castleton Community Church, and as well from Indianapolis Theological Seminary. Uh, this is my first time preaching here at Salaroot. I say first time, so uh, <laughs> we'll see what Pastor uh, Curtis thinks. Um, uh, but I say that because my relationship with Solid Word actually goes back 10 years, and informally, uh, I was a professor at uh, uh, Crossroads Bible College, and Kenny Morgan was in my very first class. I remember Kenny sitting off on the right-hand side, taking copious notes. Good, good student. Wonderful student. Uh, Donna Hubbard was one of my first colleagues, uh, and I've known Curtis Costin for well, and now Rodney, Big John is out there somewhere, and, and Charles are students at Indianapolis Theological Seminary, and I'm particularly grateful that Richard Rowley and Curtis Costin serve on the board at Indianapolis Theological Seminary. This is so important because a city without a theological institution is a, is a city that doesn't study the Word of God. I mean, to, to, to say we study theology is just a fancy way of saying we want to dig deep into the Scriptures, and we want to bring out the, the pearls and the jewels and the treasures that the Word of God has, and then apply them across our city, and then, Lord willing, send people to other cities and to other countries. And so I'm just deeply uh, encouraged by this work here uh, and blessed to be, a, be a, to be able to open the Word of God with the people of God here today. So please go ahead and turn in your scriptures to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. And as you turn there, I think you'll agree with me if I said to you that the, wor the world has certainly changed, hasn't it? Yeah, you think back to a year ago. I think back to a year ago, what my life was like a year ago or nine months ago. And so completely changed has the world. I can't imagine the world going back to the way it was. And I'm talking, of course, about the fact that nine months ago, my family got a puppy. <laughs> I'm sorry if you thought maybe I was talking about the pandemic or just politics ever in our face, race, gender. These things are all over the headlines. No, no. No, it's just talking about little Wilson. That's all. Wilson needs food, Wilson needs attention, Wilson needs cleaning. I tell you, I just can't imagine my life going back to the way it was. No doubt, nonetheless, people are on edge, aren't they, about the pandemic, about politics, about race, gender, education, immigration, right? There are just so many things just grabbing the headlines. As Charles mentioned just a moment ago, you turn on the television, and I think the world is just out of control in so many ways. And these things grab the headlines. And it's easy to make us feel very small and very out of control. But I ask you, are these things really peculiar? Won't we face illnesses again? Haven't we faced issues of race in the past? And won't we again? Politics? continue to cycle over and over? Well, I have good news for you. The Word of God has something for us. 
that can create an anchor for our souls in such times as these. And we're going to look at that right here from Psalm 146. Major world-altering headlines coming at us, and coming at us faster than ever. The Scriptures alone can anchor our souls. And in this psalm, we will see particularly a vision, a cosmic vision, a huge vision for life, the universe, and everything that you can apply to your life every single day. Particularly, we'll see that the Lord is eternal. The Lord is eternal. The Lord gets things done. And that to praise the Lord is to find the meaning of life. Those are the three things we'll see in this psalm. That the Lord is eternal. The Lord gets things done. And that to praise the Lord is to find the very meaning of life, which I believe is a question everybody asks at some point in their life, if not often. What is the meaning of life? So let's go ahead and read Psalm 146, and then we'll dig in. Amen? Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Will you pray with me one more time? O Lord, the God, the help of Jacob, In times past and now and for generations future, we bow before you and we ask indeed that you would accept our worship, the worship of listening and attending to your word. And as we do that, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our world? Would you speak to this church as a body? And would you speak to the individual people here who can hear this message for your glory, for their good, and for the spread of the gospel around the globe? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll start here in Psalm 146 with this observation that the Lord is eternal. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. We'll come back to verses 1 and 2 in a bit. But let's start in verse 3. And we're going to start with the negative. We're going to start with the wrong approach to life. Look what the psalmist says in verses 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When the breath, his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that day his plans perish. Again, this is the negative. And we are perennially tempted. We all are. I am, you are, everybody is. That when we see the world's troubles, we instinctively turn to the human leaders among us. They present themselves as being strong. They present themselves as being capable. They always have the answers to the questions or they avoid the questions and answer the question they wanted to answer anyway. But they present themselves as though they're capable. And it's very alluring. It's very tempting to kind of come into their space and to believe that they can provide some kind of salvation, or to be repulsed by them, and therefore to fear them. And so we put our trust in them, or we put our fear in them. And this 
This psalm is telling us, put not your trust in princes. Not princes. And I believe the, the obverse is strongly implied. Do not fear them either. They're not as strong as we think. And there are two reasons. There are two reasons this psalm gives us to not have that posture towards worldly leaders. Do you see them there? It's in, first one's in verse 3. Put not your trust in princes and the son of a man in whom there is no salvation. There is no salvation in the princes and the political power brokers of this world. They are not, it turns out, as strong as they self-present. I'm 44 years old. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger. But I think I've witnessed enough of the political stage in my life already to have heard all of the promises and all of the threats <laughs> that political leaders make. And they never quite come to fruition. Now, I want to be clear. I think the people we put in power have a huge impact on the thriving of human beings under their, under their jurisdiction, under their jurisdiction. But history is just filled with the evaporated promises of political dreams and illusions. But number two, the second reason is in verse four. Do you see it there? When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day. His plans perish. So whatever promises they make, whatever kind of salvation they think they can bring to you, to your community, to the state, to the country, things like that, it's necessarily short-lived. It is necessarily short-lived. When they die, and die they will, their great platforms have to go with them. So when we put our hope in worldly leaders, regardless of their charisma or how effective they appear, we find ourselves longing for that which cannot satisfy and that which cannot last. Cannot satisfy and cannot last. Uh, 16 years ago, I think it was. No, it was now 17 years ago. I got to do my math. <laughs> I was teaching at a, at a high school, uh, a college prep high school north of D.C. It was called Washington Christian Academy uh, in Olney, Maryland. And these students, they were not old enough to vote, but they were particularly pre uh, precocious in matters of politics. They took politics classes, uh, history classes and all these kinds of things, right? And I was a new, the new teacher there. And it was the year, some of you will remember, of the George W. Bush-John Kerry race. Bush-Kerry, Bush-Kerry. And they were dying to know who the new teacher was voting for. Just dying to know. And so they would ask me, hey, Mr. P, who are you voting for? And I, I refused to tell them. I refused to tell them. And so they would go away, and well, why, why does he want to talk about politics with us? Doesn't everybody want to talk about politics? So they would come back in a group, and they would come back in a group. They thought if they ganged up on me, you know, three or four of them, hey, who are you voting for? I would tell them, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, they, would, they would even try these little games, uh, so, so transparent. They would, they would see me carrying books, and they would say, hey, Mr. P, those, those uh, books are pretty heavy. Can I carry them for you? Or should we just throw them in the bushes? I was like, guys, I'm not going to tell you. And here's why. Here's why. In America, maybe this, is else, maybe this happens elsewhere too, I don't know. But in America, we take our politics and we take our theology and we just, we just indistinguishably mesh them together. I don't, I don't know why this is, something in our past, something in our, the fact that we're democratic or, or whatever it may be, but this is our tendency. And because I was a theology teacher and I cared so much 
that my students got this understanding of creation, their own sinfulness, the calling of humanity, the hope of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the impact the church could have in the world if you seek to be a leader in the church and influence the world, and the great blessed hope of resurrection life and eternal life. These things can create a worldview where you can live and move and have your being and thrive in the world. Therefore, because I want to get that across so clearly, therefore, I did not want in any way to dilute that. So if I said, well, I'm voting here, and that sounded to them liberal, right? Then months later, five months later, six months later, they would hear me say something theological and equate it with what they thought I said was liberal politically. Or if I was conservative, <laughs> you understand? Then again, I'd be saying something later, years later maybe even. People just hang on to these things and therefore collapse what I'm trying to speak with clarity from the scriptures about eternal and weighty matters and confuse it with tax reform or something. You know? Because I did not want to conflate my theology with politics, but rather in, uh, try, to, try to clearly articulate that my theology drives my politics. The one is way back in the caboose. <laughs> you understand? The theology is the train driving the engine down the, down the track. But also because you live long enough and you simply see that this is true. That the plans of one generation of leaders and the promises, they make promises about the future. That they, there's no way they can know what the future holds, whether or not they're going to deliver on these things. Moreover, the future doesn't have them on the docket, right? Another generation of leadership class comes along. And so this psalm is very sober. I mean, this psalm, brothers and sisters, this psalm is like 3,000 years old. This wasn't written yesterday because the election cycle is two or four years in America. This was written 1,000 years ago. Put not your trust in princes in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that day his plans perish. As important as government is, Make no mistake about it. The promises of peace and deliverance that they purport are more for getting votes than they are for actually with intention of delivering on them later. But number two, this psalm is clearly comparing that scene to the Lord. To the Lord. The Lord is eternal on the other hand and the Lord can bring salvation. Look at verse five. Look at verse five. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and keeps faith forever. You hear the difference? I mean, think about that. He made the heavens and the earth. Heavens above, stars, the sky, the moon, and the earth on which you walk every day. Those are the property of God. He made them. And when the sun comes up in the morning, it's because God said so. When the rain falls from the sky, it's because God said so. When the snow falls and it melts and it fills the rivers and the rivers rush down to the sea and there's, there's life in the sea and then we fish for the fish. We grow things on the land so that we can eat and we can enjoy life. It's all because under God's sovereign domain. And he endures and keeps his promises forever. You can hear the exact opposite. No salvation 
They take their plants with them to the grave, but the Lord creates the whole ecosystem in which you live and find your sustenance forever. The Lord is being compared here. But let's get down into the details. Let's get down to the details. What's, what's on the Lord's agenda? What's on his docket for accomplishing his purposes in the world? Let's read verses seven through nine again. Verse seven and following. Talking about the Lord, he executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Now that's a lot. That's a lot. And did you notice that these are the exact things people are crying out for today? I mean, look at this list again. Verse 7. He executes justice. Heard much about justice or injustice? Just recently, he executes justice. He gives food to the hungry. He cares for the poor. He cares for the poor. Also in verse 7, he has compassion on prisoners. Lots of talk about prison reform. Healthcare, verse 8. Healthcare. To open the eyes of the blind. That's caring for people's health. Then you got verse 9. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. Verse 9, he watches over sojourners, immigration, people away from home, traveling to a new place. The widow and the fatherless, broken homes is what these are, right? But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. So making sure evildoers are dealt with properly. This is what's on the Lord's agenda. And I wonder how many people know that these are the things the Lord has cared about thousands of years before they were talking points and flashpoints for getting votes. But we have to ask this question. How does the Lord do these things? How does he care for sojourners? How does he give food to the hungry? Does he just float down food from heaven? Well, he did that once. He did that once with, with Moses. Jesus did that a couple times with the fish and the loaves, but this is not the normal practice. This is not the normal practice. The answer is through the church, through his own people. What is the church but a collection of glad volunteers who step forward on the day of service to say, Lord, what do you want done? What's your agenda? How can we serve you? How can we be your hands and feet in the world? The church is a new humanity under Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit to be stewards of the earth and priests to the rest of the world so that we demonstrate in ourselves these godly characteristics as we care for one another. And so the first instinct of any local church body is to watch out for these needs inside the congregation. And if you have needs, don't be embarrassed to let your needs be known to the leadership of the church. And then the leadership of the church has the obligation to corral the rest of the servants to see how we can meet those needs. I'll tell you a brief story about, I shared this uh, last week in class, 
uh, a brother at a church I was a part of years ago. He lost his job. I can't remember why. I don't think it was his fault. People get laid off sometimes, right? And uh, from his savings, he was paying off his mortgage on his house. But saving, they're getting down, 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 down. And, we're, and the deacons were praying for him one night. And I said, after the prayer, I said, you know, that's great that we're asking God to do something. Maybe God's asking us to do something. I mean, we're not going to allow the bank, who has no association with us, or as far as we know, are, are in Christ. We, we don't know who the bankers are, right? But this brother's in Christ, and he's part of us. We're definitely not going to let the bank take his house, right? And uh, 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 yeah, 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 right, right, right. We put out a call to the church. There was plenty of members in the church, a little bit more money each month than they're giving. We could pay this guy's mortgage for a few months until, we got, until he got back on his feet. I, mean, I don't think that should be a radical example, that we have our eyes open for the poor, the widow, and the fatherless among us. That's number one. But also, also, as the church lives that way, it's a billboard to the rest of the world to say, listen, I also hear you talking about justice and families, and poverty, and so forth. Well, without hubris saying, look at us. We live in a particular way. This, this is ideal, I understand. We're going to talk about doctrine of sin in just a minute. No, no church lives this out consistently. But that's the vision of Psalm 146, that there will be a people who could show to the world that if you're looking for these attributes, there is a godly society with the Lord God above and Jesus Christ reigning over us. He did not, we did not elect him. He elected us. He called us through the gospel to be his people. And now we live this way. And so if you want justice, if you want a, a genuine, loving, caring community, come join the church. I, I don't hear people saying that. That's not what I hear. I hear people rushing to the political arena where there are some answers, no doubt about it, that we can have better policies, we can have better laws, we can have all kinds of better X, Y, and Z. But it's governed by unregenerate people who have no interest in saying, Lord, what do you want? But the church is a polis unto ourselves. We are a city unto ourselves. We are emissaries from the future, from a new creation where the righteousness of God reigns over the earth like the waters cover the sea, time to serve in these capacities. And so everywhere Christianity has been, it's left behind schools, universities, libraries, hospitals. You know, there was a time when hospitals were only for the wealthy who could afford it. Now, there's still a reality to that, but there's also the, the philosophy that everybody in the society should get health care, right? And if you show up on the ER, they should, they should serve you right away, Right? Orphanages. Orphanage is a Christian idea. The kids who don't, have, who don't have children to raise them can't just be left destitute. Someone's going to care for them. And so adoption agencies are commonly run by Christian organizations. Food pantries, soup kitchens, prison reform, democracy, innovation. Again, never perfectly, but always in the wake of where Christian principles are forward. In fact, in the third century, there was a document called the Didascalia describing the duty of bishops of you ready for this? You'll be surprised. Educating orphans, aiding widows, the purchase of firewood for the destitute, because we probably don't think about that, but you, you could freeze during the winter. We have internal heating. They didn't. They need firewood. Their job is to go get firewood and to look out for injustice and abuses of servants. Now listen to that. Orphans, widows, the destitute, and servants are people who cannot repay you. 
They can't repay you. The job of bishops was to care for them. At one time in, in 251 AD, there were 1,500 dependents on the church's role. And the church in Rome kept storehouses of oil, wine, and clothing for 1,500 people in a time of persecution. The Roman government didn't like them. But they had too, they had too much ministry going on, the Roman government couldn't do anything about it. How are you going to shut down 1,500 food, food and clothing pantries for the poor in the city? When I graduated from college, I worked with juvenile offenders in Denver, Colorado, and the ministry I worked with had offices in a place called Church on the Outside. And Church on the Outside was, uh, uh, was slightly related to prison fellowship. So prison fellowship would do chapel services and Bible studies for church on the inside, right? Incarcerated men, mostly. But when people get arrested, their wives and their children, well, they become functional widows and orphans. And so Church on the Outside was, was serving them. We had a food pantry. We had a clothing closet we called it, and so forth. And I know this church, you just mentioned, the community day, and I know you also do a, um, a health clinic every so often. These are the kinds of things that we don't need permission from anybody else other than our Lord to say, we're going to serve each other, and we're going to serve the world. Humbly, without big billboards, but real genuine people in the community are going to be impacted by that. That is how the Lord feeds, sets prisoners free, opens eyes, lifts up the bowed down, loves the righteous, sojourners, widows, and orphans through his people. And so I encourage this church to keep those kinds of ministries going. And I would also exhort you that if you're not involved in one of those ministries in this local church, simply ask yourself why. Just ask yourself why. Why don't I get involved? Why can't I be part of that effort? The church, therefore, is a preserving force in the world, caring for its own as a polis unto itself, and an example to the rest of the world. As an example, what it would look like if you too repent, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and join our community. In other words, in other words, the solution to, I don't know, 95% of the world's problems is still evangelism. Introducing people to Jesus and inviting them to repent be filled with the Holy Spirit, join the new community, seeking, never perfectly, seeking to obey the way of the Lord. It's always been this way. And I think the people of Israel would have known that from Psalm 146. The books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy are filled with the expectations of Israel to care for their own and sojourners among them. The same thing, therefore, apply to the church. Thirdly, and finally, Notice in verse 5, if you have this mentality, you will be blessed. You see that? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? I think it means a lot of things, but it at least means this, to find the meaning of life. And this is my third and final point for today. To praise the Lord is to find the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Here's what I mean. Notice how this psalm begins with the words, praise the Lord. It also ends with what? Praise the Lord. Look at the next psalm, 147. It begins, praise the Lord. It ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 148, you know where we're going. It begins, praise the Lord. It ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. It ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 150, let me read it to you in its entirety. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him for his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is the Hebrew word, which means praise the Lord. And so when you read praise the Lord in your Bible, you're reading hallelujah. When you read hallelujah, you're reading praise the Lord. So these last five Psalms that I just read some of them for you is called the hallelujah finale. The Psalms, the Psalm, you put all 150 Psalms together. It's like, it's an epic poem of humanity's ups and downs. Okay. You got the man in the garden in Psalm 1, meditating on the law day and night, but he doesn't. And you got Psalm 2, the rage of the nations. You follow me? And so, and so you, got this, you got this dynamic of what life could be like, but it's not. And so there are two main characters in the book of Psalms, David and the son of David. So the answer to the raging of the nations and the folly of humanity the is to rise up David who might serve as a just ruler over the world to lead them in righteousness and justice and these sort of attributes in Psalm 146. But David, oh David, was a man of the flesh just like you and me. And so maybe it's sons, you understand? And so the son of David is expected to come. And when he comes, he will usher in an era of hallelujah that is unending. That's why the Psalms end this way with these five hallelujah. And on every page in the New Testament, well, that's an exaggeration, but nearly everywhere in the New Testament, Jesus is called the son of David. There's a triumph there that the son of David has finally come. And finally, we, there's a man, there's a man, one man who meditates on the law day and night. There's a man who sings hallelujah, praise Jehovah every single day. And so when he goes to the cross, he's not dying for his own sins. That is a theological impossibility. But the son of God is dying for the sins of his people to forgive us of all of our not caring for the poor, not caring for sojourners, you see? And to lead us in a way where we might do better by giving us the Holy Spirit. Because when he was raised back to life, he ascended to heaven to reign and rule over creation the way Adam couldn't, the way David couldn't, but the way only he can. And then he calls us his body. Think about that. His body means his hands and his feet, his heart and his lungs living in the world. And so when it says at the very end of Psalm 150, the result when the man, Jesus Christ, comes, that everything that has breath will praise the Lord. That word breath is the same word used in Genesis 2 and 3 of what it says when, when God created all animate life. Not just human beings, but also the deer in the fields and butterflies and so forth. He breathed into them breath. The goal of creation is that everything alive would praise God. And humanity, namely the new humanity in Christ, leads the way. And I would argue that in an age where, again, the headlines are coming at us fast. There, I mean, last year we learned about murder hornets. Murder hornets. I mean, I, my, kid, my kids, they see a bee and they get afraid. I say, don't be scared, it's just a bee. But now I say, oh, that could be a murder hornet for all I know, right? There were 46,000 wildfires last year. 
And you all know about COVID and, and all this stuff, right? So the, the headlines are just coming at us fast. And it's the, it's, the, it's the headlines that make us fear the world is coming unhinged that get promoted because they catch your attention more, right? <laughs> you know, healthy baby born in the hospital. That's not going to get the headlines. You understand? It's, it's the terrible stuff. So it comes out as fast because it keeps us glued to our phones and our screens and our televisions. And it's so easy to get drawn into that and just feel like the world is in a whirlwind. Psalm, Psalms like 146. Lift us up. Give us a beginning of the end, a, a vision of the end and the beginning to stabilize us. And so the next time you hear the political pundits making promises or threats and your heart is listing to the side to, to hope in them or to fear them, remind yourself of this. Put not your trust in princes. Blessed is he whose hope is in the God of Jacob. And when you hear of community day at your church, come on out, volunteer, be there, serve. And so whether it's puppies, COVID, or protests, the world is changing, but ultimately the world has changed because of Jesus' resurrection. Because he is alive and he has a people, we are those who can think straight and rightly about him and therefore take these matters into our own hands because we care for one another through them and we also reach out to the world to draw in more sinners because the ultimate problem for everybody the ultimate problem for everybody is that they're separated from a holy God. They need to be reconciled. The ultimate problem is that they're sinners and they're going to die. They therefore need their sins forgiven and to be brought back to life. The cross and the resurrection. Forgive you of your sins and promise you eternal life. Brothers and sisters, it's been my joy to open the word with you today. Pray with me one more time. Father in heaven, Psalm 146 encourages us, but it also rebukes us. How many times have we put our trust in princes? How many times have we not hoped in the God of Jacob? How many times have we turned our eyes and our ears to the widows, the fatherless, the sojourner, the mis mistreated prisoners, and all these sort of things you care about, and gone on our way? Open up our eyes to the needs of the world and the way a people in Christ filled with the Spirit can love one another in those situations and reach out to the world. And in so doing, may people see our good deeds and give glory to you who is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Piotrowski. Appreciate that word. And I uh, trust that everyone was blessed and um, challenged as well. Uh, like I said, to, to live up to the call, the standard, right, that God has laid out and that he gives us his spirit to fulfill. So, look, uh, we don't want to make the assumption, and we always say this, that everyone who has heard this uh, knows the Jesus, the Christ that Dr. Piotrowski was referencing. And he laid it out in there, the gospel message, that we are sinners, what does that mean? That means that we desire our own way, right? That means that we want to do what we want to do. Sometimes that looks like godly things. Sometimes it doesn't. 
But it's not so much about the end result as much as it is about the core that generated the action, right? And there's some calculation that I will be in control. I will do what I want to do, and I will do it how I want to do it. We are all infected with that. And God sent us Christ to cure that, to be the remedy for that, to be the solve for that, to be the answer for me wanting to do what I always wanted to do, but somehow trying to figure out how to live in his kingdom underneath his rule. Those two things can't fit together. They're incongruous. And so he gives us his son, Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus in that way, not, hey, yeah, I know he was born in a manger. Yeah, I know that, uh, you know, his, his father was a carpenter. He's a carpenter. No, I'm not talking about facts and information about the historical Jesus. But if you do not know Jesus in the way that says, man, I, I desire to have the power, like we talked about last Sunday, to be in control, that there are things that God has said that I should do that I don't want to do and I run quickly away from things he said that I shouldn't do, that I run quickly to and actually enjoy doing. If, if that describes you, if that describes your heart and your thinking, then Jesus is the savior that you need. And so the question is, if you have not accepted him to resolve that problem for you, so that you can become a part of that community that Dr. Piotrowski talked about. So that then you can do those acts, not so that you can capture it on video and get all kinds of likes and people praising you about how good a person you are, but so that you can be the arms and the legs of Christ and engaging with the body, with the community, living for him, and then causing others to then say how to can I become a part of this community? It, it is not foreign. Jesus himself told the disciples, these are disciples who had gone out, who had performed miracles, who had cast out demons, who had done amazing things. He told them himself that people will know you are my disciples because of the love you have one for another. Not because of these magical, mystical, miraculous things you can do, but because you'll be able to do something that everybody is trying to do and trying to figure out how to get it and how to get it genuinely. Christ in us will allow us to live that out. So if you do not know Jesus Christ, this is your time. Even those that are at home watching, uh, there'll be some information at the end of the service where you can reach out to the church. If you've got some questions and, 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 and you've got uh, some doubts, come see me. Come see one of the deacons, one of the elders. I, dare, I, dare I say, come see Dr. Piotrowski. Right? He, he, he's more than willing to engage in those conversations. All of us are. Ask the person you came here with. Ask the person sitting with you if you're watching from home. If you do not know Jesus in the pardoning of your sins, you can know him in that way. And that is glorious. Amen? Amen. Look, uh, again, Dr. Piotrowski, thank you so much for uh, stealing away and, and uh, blessing us with that word. Thank you, Solid Word friends and family, for coming out and worshiping today. Were you blessed this morning? Amen. 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 
uh, as always, uh, we encourage you to check the, uh, the distribution email about upcoming events. Uh, as a reminder as well, the community day that's happening next uh, Saturday. From a giving perspective, recall you can give online. You can also drop off uh, your giving in our slot as you're exiting out of the building as well. Uh, if there is nothing else, then I am going to pray for us and then we will be dis dismissed nothing else. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful for having heard your word this morning. Thank you, God, for putting your word within our reach. Thank you, God, for not hiding yourself from us and making it some arduous journey to understand what it is that you would have of us. But you have placed it, you have revealed it to us in your word, and then you have blessed us with your spirit so that we can read it, we can study it, and we can understand it, but most importantly, we can apply it. God, I pray that we would leave here different than the way we came in, challenged to be a hallelujah kind of a church, that in everything that we say, in everything that we do, in every interaction that we have, that we are trying to exemplify and to show people what the kingdom of God is like. Not harsh, not abusive, not antagonistic, right? But living out the way Christ lived in front of us through the scriptures and now lives in us so that we may reach out and impact the world. Be with us as we depart from this place, but never let us depart from your presence and all those things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be sure to come and, and shake uh, Dr. P's hand and uh, just get to know him, introduce yourself and enjoy the rest of the week. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.